Hello and welcome to the Providence College Podcast. I'm Michael Hagan from the class of 2015, and I'm joined by producer Chris Judge of the class of 2005. Today, we're excited to welcome Dr. Margaret Manchester, Associate Professor of History, and Dr. Stephanie Berninger, Associate Professor of English, who are currently the faculty in residence in the inaugural year of Providence College's Civ in London Study Abroad Program. The two have been in London since early January and recently welcomed students to the program. Margaret and Stephanie, thanks for joining us. It's nice to be here. Thank you, Michael. So my first question is, after multiple years of travel restrictions, how excited are students to be able to travel abroad again? And how excited are you? Uh, Margaret, you can start this one. I think it's indescribable. Um, we're, we've been just beyond excited, especially as um, some of the restrictions on travel began to ease. It was pretty complicated for um, uh, Stephanie and I to to get here because we had to do all of these pre-testings and post-testings, but things are seem to be easing up and you know, finally, it's wonderful to be able to to be here. And I think with the pandemic still, you know, having pretty serious consequences on the continent, it's the kind of thing where it's going to really encourage our students to explore London fully and also to explore the UK um, more fully as well, rather than always jetting off to some exotic place. Anything to add, Stephanie? Yeah, I just, uh, I think that the prolonged experience of the pandemic has really given our students a renewed appreciation for just the simple things. Um, so the ability to travel to an amazing location like London is just blowing their minds. A lot of these students are sophomores, and so they spent their entire first year of college virtual. They didn't really have the college experience, and so they're just really delighted. Um, they're just like sponges on our field trip, just soaking it all in. So it, it, of course, wasn't a given that this program could even happen this semester, given the volatility of the pandemic situation. What is it like to be abroad during a pandemic? And are there any differences between this and, say, pre-pandemic study abroad programs? Uh, Stephanie? It's certainly different from what it was pre-pandemic, but it's a lot of the same things that we've become used to in the United States. You know, mask wearing on public transit um, and in crowded locations. I'd say the UK is doing a nice job of making sure that everybody wears their masks in theaters um, and in public spaces. So now that we've all adjusted to that, um, it isn't really that much of a, of a burden. Um, it doesn't occur to me on a daily basis that we're living in the midst of a global pandemic. I mean, we still have uh, in our facility here at IES, which is our um, organization that we're working with, you know, we still have a mask mandate, for example, in the classroom building um, to keep everyone safe. And we're still getting alerts uh, periodically about uh, new cases of COVID amongst um, not just our students, but the other students that are, are participating in the IES program. So how would you describe London to someone who's never been, Margaret? Bustling and metropolitan and cosmopolitan and so international. You hear every language spoken. Um, for example, I went for um, to get my first haircut in London this week and my colleague is from Poland and she recommended her hairdresser who's from Greece. And 
I'm an American. So there were no English people in the salon while I was there. And that's really, really typical uh, when you go into shops and uh, different establishments. Stephanie, what about you? How would you describe London to someone who's never been? It's just so alive. Um, one of the books that we're going to be reading while we're here is Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. And basically that entire book is just people walking around London streets. Um, and it's June, the month of June when they're walking around, but, um, just one of the characters, uh, thinks to herself, this is what she loved London in June, walking on the streets, you know, and just hearing, she hears all the sounds and, um, it sounds like singing cause there's just so much going on and so much life, um, my kids have been really enjoying all of the different methods of public transportation. The other day, my youngest, my five-year-old said to me, mommy, I love the subway and I love the overground train and I love the double-decker bus. And I love, <laughs> like, he just goes on listing all of the different ways to get around, to get around the city. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful um, experience for us and for our students. I'm glad that you mentioned June in London, because uh, one of my fondest memories of my time abroad in the UK was really, it was the end of the academic year, um, when towards May and June, uh, the days would just get so long, because um, England is cl closer to the North Pole than we are. Um, so it, it just, the days would just go on forever, it felt like, which was just the best, because there was so much to do. Um, so really appreciated that extra daylight. Um, what experiences did you have of London before this program, Stephanie? So I think this will make, after this semester, this will make almost a full year of my life in London, all through study abroad opportunities. I studied abroad as a freshman in London, and that just really opened my mind to the world. Um, I remember just the the jaw-dropping surprise of being able to walk into a museum and see a Van Gogh or um, just walk into a church and see Roman ruins. Um, I went back. I loved it so much that I went back as a junior um, as kind of a resident assistant for the same program. And then I went back for a semester in grad school as well. So um, I love London. It's, I think, my favorite city in the whole world. And I'm delighted to be here again. What about you, Margaret? What experiences have you had with London before? Uh, I've been here several times, but uh, more uh, in terms of uh, particularly from my first book, um, I was doing research. So I would come for a short period of time, a week, 10 days uh, to do work at the National Archives, which is in this really lovely section of London uh, called Kew, not far from Kew Gardens. And so I've been back uh, a few times for research and conference participation, but I've never lived here. So this is a new one for me as well. And why is London an ideal place for students to spend their fourth semester of CIV? Margaret? You know, it's, it's unbelievable how, for example, yesterday we took our students on a guided tour of Westminster Abbey. And Westminster Abbey has uh, either buried or commemorated uh, important people from uh, British history. And so many of them were topics or related to themes that we've studied with our students in, in CIV. Sir Isaac Newton, these literary figures, Henry James, uh, Eliot, um, Thomas Hardy, 
Jane Austen, the Bronte sisters, important scientists. So for our bio majors, for example, there were uh, commemorative plaques for Joseph Lister um, and other important scientists who have contributed to our understanding of the natural world. So it was just amazing musicians that we've studied and composers. So um, being just in that one place, in that one example, it related directly, not just to our colloquium, but to studies that I'm sure our students have had in the previous semesters of CIV as well. So that was really great. I remember when I was, um, I forget if it was at um, Westminster or at St. Paul's Cathedral, but I have a very distinct memory of walking around one of those spaces and uh, looking down at my feet and realizing that I was standing on top of J.M.W. Turner, um, which was yes. just, I mean, it just, you know, it's, it's, uh, I was just struck with awe in that moment <laughs> to, to be right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, we walked on Charles Darwin's grave. Yeah. <laughs> so Amazing. So so Stephanie, how would you or why would you describe London as an ideal place uh, to study Civ? You know, from the moment I was hired at Providence College, I've said Civ needs to take place in London. Um, I've been <laughs> asking for this since day one. It just is the best place to study the history of Western civilization in all of its good, bad and ugly um, forms. And that's one of the things we're trying to do is to introduce not just, you know, the amazing sites of London and Westminster Abbey, but to also think about um, London as the heart of a global empire that did some pretty awful things. Um, and we're going to be asking our students to think not just about what is remembered here, but what isn't remembered here and what isn't memorialized here. Um, but it, it's just a wealth of opportunities, artistic, literary, um, historical, yeah. So what are some specific ways that, um, and, and you mentioned, you, you mentioned the great example of seeing the graves of these luminary figures from British history, um, but what are some other sort of tangible examples of how Civ lessons come to life in London? Stephanie? I'm teaching a contemporary drama class here, which is an amazing place to be doing that you know, we're going to go see theater in the West End, uh, which is the heart of the theatrical world. Um, and we're going to be able to, uh, students are going to be able to write their own theater reviews to respond to plays. Uh, the plays that we're going to be seeing for the most part are plays that aren't even written down yet. You know, they're brand new, hot off the presses, exciting things for students to be reacting to. Things that um, give them insights into, you know, immigrant culture and youth culture in the UK, things that they may not be exposed to otherwise. Um, and so we're going to try to make the best of every opportunity here. Margaret, what are some other ways that Civ comes to life in London? Well, for example, I'm teaching class on uh, World War II. And uh, not only are we going to go to the Imperial War Museums that have these amazing exhibits on uh, British participation in World War II and the Holocaust, but also um, we're going to go to Churchill's War Rooms, we're going to Bletchley, where the Enigma codes were broken. Um, what was I going to say? We're going to see the battle of uh, the, the, the Blitz bunker. Um, so there's all of these amazing um, sites uh, that we're going to visit related to our class materials. And I think, you know, just that tangible presence there, uh, students learn in a different way 
uh, rather than just through seeing slides on a PowerPoint or reading about it. I think it really makes a difference um, when they're actually in these places that they're studying about. It's transformative, really. Just a note to add to that, when we were in Westminster Abbey yesterday, um, there was a hole all the way through the wall from shrapnel from the Blitz. Um, and thankfully, Westminster Abbey wasn't terribly damaged during the Blitz. But I also ran into the same thing when I was visiting the Victoria and Albert Museum for my contemporary drama class. I was looking at their theater and performance studies, but you walk in through the gates and there's a big chunk out of one of the big, beautiful ornate gates. And there's a sign there that says this was damaged during the blitz and we left it here so that people could remember what happened to London. And I think students would be running into those things all the time when they're just walking around London grocery shopping. Um, you find these reminders of history that are surprising. We, we had them do a pre-assignment for our uh, battlefields and home fronts class. And the assignment was for them to walk around London and find a war memorial. And it could be a memorial dedicated to any of the wars. It could be you know, a general memorial or it could be dedicated to a specific uh, group. And they had to take some photos and do a posting. Uh, we also gave them some introductory reading materials um, that ask some important questions about who's remembered and how are they remembered and so on. And they did amazing work already in this first week. Um, and such a diversity, they didn't all end up at the same memorial, but there was this wide diversity of um, uh, places that they visited that they somehow connected to the readings and the course theme. So it was really a great beginning for our class. That's, um, that's awesome that they, that they spread out and, and saw different memorials because, I mean, London is just such an in, inexhaustible trove of that kind of history. It's, it's really amazing. And I remember um, when I was, I, I was studying in Oxford, but I spent a lot of time in London. Um, but just, you know, on the topic of history being all around you, I mean, on my walk to the grocery store in Oxford, there was this really interesting looking old church. Um, you know, you could tell it was particularly old, not just a couple hundred years old old, but, but really, really old. And, but I, I didn't realize just how old until, you know, months into being there, I finally walked up and read the plaque. This church predated the Norman invasion. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what is there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's really exciting to hear. Um, so where in town is the program located and what is the surrounding neighborhood like, um, Margaret? Um, it's located in Bloomsbury, which is just this really beautiful um part of London minutes, just really what, five, six minutes step from um, the, uh, the British Museum, uh, really easily accessible from a variety, you know, from the bus or from by the tube. And uh, it's in this, what is it? Eight, the building is dates to the early 19th century, maybe late 18th century. So it's this historic building in a historic neighborhood. Um, in, a, in an area where many writers and artists lived or worked uh, in the 19th century, people like Virginia Woolf and others. So it, it's got all of these um, connections. Yeah, it was the home of the Bloomsbury group, um, Virginia Woolf, her husband, Leonard Woolf, um, people like E.M. Forrester were involved. John Maynard Kings, I think, was part of the, that group. Um, and so it just has this history of 
intellectuals and literary people being there for centuries that I think will be really meaningful to our students. I was just thinking about how um, when we teach Mrs. Dalloway, I kind of just want to stop in the middle of our three-hour class and say, let's walk over and visit Virginia Woolf um, because she's literally, her statue is literally a probably a five to eight minute walk from our our building. So we may just do that just to let the students stretch and then we can walk back and return to our discussion. In all the buzz that I've heard about Civ, of, Civ in London, um, one of the terms that I've, I've heard tossed around a lot is excursions. Um, so tell me about these excursions. Where are y'all headed? You want to talk about Belfast, Seth? Yeah. So the one that I'm, I think, most excited about, given my area of specialty, which is Irish drama, is uh, we're going to take them to Belfast. We're going to be studying the Irish uh, War for Independence and then the subsequent troubles that rocked Northern Ireland during the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and uh, so we're going to take them to on a tour of Belfast where they can witness the murals that have been painted all over Belfast to um, by both sides. We're gonna try to do a, a tour of the Loyalist area and a tour of um, the, uh, the Republican areas of Belfast so that they can get it from both sides and really see what a sectarian conflict looks like. Um, we're also gonna be doing some amazing sightseeing on the way. We're going to go to the Giants Causeway in Northern Ireland, which is one of the most beautiful natural sites I've ever seen. Just these insane hexagonal um, rock formations uh, that are natural, but look entirely like somebody sculpted them and put them there. So, uh, you know, for our battlefields, we're one of the topics that we're considering is um, women in warfare and um, the ways in which women contribute not just to combat, but also on the home front. And the play that we're reading is Aristophanes, Lysistrata, and we're going to Athens with our students. So that's another one of the big um, trips that we're going to do. And we've got some activities, you know, guided walks, a visit to a theater, and some other things that correlate with, with our, um, uh, our curriculum. The one big disappointment, and this is a pandemic disappointment from my World War II class, we were going to take our students to Normandy um, to visit the, the beaches and the cemeteries. And um, because of the restrictions back in late November, early December, um, we had to, at the time, make a quick decision about whether we were gonna chance it or not. And because of all of the requirements at the time, uh, we had to cancel that trip. And that's, that's the reality of teaching during a pandemic. You really have to be, um, it's like a moving target. You have to be flexible in terms of um, your planning and have uh, plan B, plan C, and indeed for Normandy, the other options that I had, there's a prisoner of war camp in York, but we found out that it's under construction. Then we wanted to go to the cliffs of Dover and um, I wanted to show them the underground tunnels that were used during World War II, but the tunnels are closed. So, and we ended up with plan D, which is also going to be great. But uh, I think one of the hallmarks of uh, teaching during a pandemic abroad is uh, being flexible. 
Well, and that's, you know, I, I use the word inexhaustible to describe London and, and the surrounding region um, in terms of what's there earlier. Um, it is truly a place where you can, it, it's, it's a part of the world where you really can have a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You can have endless plans because there's there's just so much to do. Um, so um, what are, I, I'm curious, uh, what are some little surprises or moments of culture shock that you or your students have experienced so far um, in your time in London? Stephanie, do you want to start? My, the first thing that's coming to mind is that one of our students said the sirens are so quiet here, <laughs> but that's not really a, a major culture shock at all. <laughs> Boy, I, I remember walking around, walking around in Oxford. I always, you know, thought the the bike bells were such a pleasant sound. I didn't realize that that was the European equivalent of laying on your horn, telling somebody to get out of the way. <laughs> I think um, the biggest way that I've I've noticed it, and my family has noticed it, has been with our children because they are really used to living in a rural, rural area. We live in Gloucester, um, so twenty five minutes north of of the college, and um, and we have a big wooded yard and my kids are used to hiking in the woods, but they've never really spent any time in the city. And so the first time my five-year-old saw an escalator on this trip, we were all lining up saying, step on to this escalator. He was right in front of me. He just turned around and bolted the opposite direction. And it was in a big crowd of people. Um, and I will say that even that very same day, he kept asking to get back on the escalator and wanting to try it again. And, and he is now an expert at riding escalators, but there are a lot of shocks related to living in the big city that have uh, faced our family. I think for the students, uh, time management, um, you know, because they're used to being on campus and it's not uncommon sometimes to roll out of bed and bolt across campus in five minutes and make it to class, uh, maybe with your pajama pants on. Um, I know that I've seen that happen once or twice, but here they really have to um, plan ahead because they need to get to use public transportation to get to our, our campus. When we met them at the Westminster Abbey, you know, a couple of students had gotten on the, uh, the tube going in the wrong direction and had to get off and then um, find their way back. Another student got turned around and was running late. So, you know, navigating public transportation and managing their time so that they get to places uh, on time has been a challenge for some of them. Either they arrive too early or uh, too late so far. Um, so I, I have a little game I want to play with the two of you. It's a, uh, a, a lightning round game of this or that UK versus US edition. Um, so I'm going to give you uh, two, two things, uh, one, one from either side of the ocean, um, and I, I would like you to choose this or that. Uh, you can answer at the same time. Um, the, the first one is easy. So uh, th this, one, this one should be a no-brainer. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you're ready for your afternoon pick-me-up. Are you steeping yourself a nice cup of PG Tips black tea or Lipton? PG Tips. Hands down. All right. Yes. Easy answer. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I sometimes I, I order boxes of PG tips from overseas <laughs> to bring over here. Um, I have so Yorkshire. I, okay. Yorkshire tea here, which is really good. Another good choice. Yes. Um, so next question, um, tomato baked beans with breakfast or barbecue baked beans with dinner? Neither. Maybe Neither. barbecue baked beans <laughs> for dinner, I would think. 
Okay, so not fans of the breakfast beans. No. Okay, all right. Next question: Would you? Uh, it's it's the end of the it's the end of the school day. Um, you're you're ready to relax a bit. You're headed to the pub. Um, are you having a cellar temperature British ale or an ice cold American lager? Stephanie's going for the cider. That's right. Okay, <laughs> I drink the ciders here. Another good option. None there, of the yeah. above. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still what, all right, but Margaret, you like I do cold. like my beer cold. Yes. So okay. Yeah. And most of it is. I have to say I, yeah. I I was skeptical about cellar temperature when I went over there, but um I, I it's funny. I I've had um I, I was at a place that was serving British ales over here and they served it ice cold. And I was like, there's there's something just a little off about this. Um but uh, next question, uh, you're, you're going to a cafe in the morning. Um, are you going to have a European style espresso drink or an American, as they call it, filter coffee? I'm definitely for the European. I'm choosing the European too. Um, although I think that's, you still have a difficult time finding filter coffee here. You can get an, an Americano, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, espresso watered down to make it taste like filter coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I um in, in my in my memory, I you know, I generally preferred the espresso, but occasionally I would feel nostalgic for a watered down cup of filter coffee. Um you know, I spent a year in Italy and um I became completely addicted to Italian coffee while I was there. I was directing the PC Rome program. So when we came back to the States, um I could not American coffee just didn't cut it for me. And so I've been a European coffee person ever since. Are either of you vegetarians? No. no. Okay, because the next question concerns breakfast meat. Um, are you having a rasher of British bacon or crispy American bacon? Mm. I'll take either. Bacon in any form is good. I'll go with pancetta. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's uh, you're, you're going to the big game. Is it a um, international football game or an American football game? International football, 100 percent. All right. Um, and my final question um, is you're, you're taking transit. Um, are, would you prefer to take the London Underground or the Boston Tea? The London Underground. <laughs> There's no <laughs> yeah, that, that's a no brainer as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The transit systems here are amazing. Yeah. But you know, the other good thing too is just walking. In the States, you, you get in a car to go grocery shopping, you get in a car to do all your errands. And here we walk everywhere or we use public transportation. And I just, I, I just love the fact that we're um, walking everywhere um, and, you know, we're discovering some of the little uh, shopkeepers and, um, you know, grocers and butchers and bakers in our neighborhood. And they're starting to recognize us. And it's just a, it's just a great feeling. So I, I much prefer that to uh, driving everywhere. I've walked 11 and a half miles already today. That's amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I remember um, when I would go to London and when I would bring friends visiting who were studying in other countries who were in London for just a weekend, um, it, it was always, I made it a point to take them out on foot. I mean, as, as cool as transit was, um, there's something about, I, I would just, I would always do like a triangle from Westminster Bridge um, up to around like the Millennium Bridge and St. Paul's Cathedral, um, and then over to like Buckingham Palace, Hyde Park. Um, I mean, we'd walk miles and miles and miles, but it was the best way to see the city. Um, you got to see uh, the National Gallery, Trafalgar Square, Buckingham Palace, uh, Westminster Abbey and, um, and the Palace of Westminster. Um, there's just there's no better way to do London than on foot, I feel like. On the Sunday afternoon, if the sun is shining, um, you should see the people just strolling families, couples, single people. Um, strolling along the Thames. It's really great. Or in the park, St. James Park or Regent's Park. I haven't been to Hampstead Heath yet, but that's on my list. So um, for you both personally, what is your number one absolute can't miss London destination? Yeah, for me, it's the National Gallery. It's my happy place. Um, I think in another life, I was an art history major. <laughs> and I just love, I love just the fact that all the museums are free and that you can literally just walk off the tube decide to go see you know an amazing like medieval era painting or um something at the Tate Modern that's like brand new and exciting um I I adore the art museums here and I intend to spend every spare minute there yeah. Yeah. The, the museums, I second Excellent. Stephanie on the museums, but I have a particular fondness for the uh, for the uh, Tower Bridge. I just love walking along that bridge and seeing what's on both sides of the Thames River. And I, it, I never get tired of it. So that part of London along the Thames, I just uh, I, I, I love to bike, but I'm still very, very nervous about trying it in London because the, there's so much traffic and because from my American perspective, they're all driving in the wrong direction and I'm afraid I'll <laughs> end up squished. So I haven't ventured onto a bike, but um, walking those areas is just really special. And what are students saying that they're most looking forward to this semester in terms of sites and experiences? Um, you know, I was just, we asked our students when we had our uh, orientation with them, what's one goal uh, that you have. And so, for example, one student, Emily, said she wanted to just visit every museum possible. Another student wanted to, um, you know, learn to manage his time and several of them because there um, there's no food program with the, um, the, for the students. So several of them mentioned the challenge of uh, learning to cook for themselves. Um, but I think they just want to, they want to take advantage of all of the opportunities, cultural, artistic, um, literary, whatever, historic, um, you know, whether it's drinking coffee or grabbing a beer at a pub, they want to experience it all. So um, I think this program is really geared to allow them to do that kind of discovery on their own. I know I talked to some students who were really eager to get on the London Eye, that giant you know, Ferris wheel that's along the Thames. And unfortunately it's closed for about 
had two or three weeks in January. It's the only time of the year that it's closed. So they had all gone down there, excited to get on the London Eye and discovered that it was the one time of the year that it was shut. But they will, they'll, they'll get on the, the London Eye, I'm sure. That's exciting. It is. It's an amazing view. It took me, being, being the broke college junior I was at the time, I, I, I resisted it for a while, but, but eventually went up and uh, it, was, it was totally worth it. Um, so what advice are you giving your students um, to help them make the most of their time in London? Stephanie? I'm really trying to push them to go into the museums. Um, and if that takes mentioning that the museum has an amazing bar with a great view of the Thames, I'll do it, you know, because they're going to walk by some art when they go up to that bar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really want them to go to the museums. I really want them to get out and about every single day uh, and take advantage. One of the things that I really pushed for when we were designing this trip and you know, since we're the first faculty leaders um, who have been chosen for this trip, we had some we had some say in how things go. But one of the things that I pushed for was for them to have an unlimited Oyster card so that they could go anywhere they wanted within zones one and two, which is central London. Um, and they could go as many times, ride the bus or the tube as many times as they want during the day. So that I hope puts the students who are from, you know, economically privileged backgrounds on equal footing with the students who may have less spending money in their pockets while they're here. They can all go anywhere they want and walk into a free museum or walk in the park or, you know, see the sights of London. And it's equal access and equal opportunity for all our students. The, the advice I've been giving students is, you know, some of them are already thinking about heading to the continent. And um, I've really been encouraging them not just to stay and explore London, but also to explore, you know, these day trips that are an hour, hour and a half train ride from London. There's lots of um, youth hostels where they can get inexpensive overnight stay. So go to Bath, go to Brighton, go to Rye. You know, um, we're going to take them to Stratford with the program, but just explore different parts of England that are accessible and so beautiful. And it gets you out of the completely huge metropolitan kind of setting into smaller, more intimate spaces that are beautiful and historic and uh, have everything that might be of interest to them. And um, how can friars on uh, the U.S. side of the ocean, how can we follow and learn about student experiences uh, during the semester in London? We have an Instagram account, which is civ underscore London, C-I-V underscore London. Um, and we're also, we also have a blog, which they can get to by navigating to the Civ in London page on the Providence College website. And uh, there's a button, I think, in the top right corner that says Civ in London blog. And there they can find not just uh, my thoughts and Margaret's thoughts, but the thoughts of our students. We're going to have them blogging on a weekly basis. We should be updating the blog most days um, because we'll have a lot of student input in the blogs. Um, so they can hear about the places that students are seeing, the coffee shops that they're discovering, and also their insights from our more academic visits and classes. Excellent. And we'll be sure to put those links both to the Instagram account, the program page, and the blog um, in the show notes so um, listeners can find them there. Thank you. Um, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and it sounds like you guys are off to a fantastic um, start of the semester in London. So can't wait to hear more about your experiences. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us. 
Subscribe to the Providence College podcast in all the usual places, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, as well as your smart speaker. If you like what you hear, please review and share with others. Thanks for listening and go Friars.